Welcome to the situation room. Welcome to the situation room. Welcome to the situation room. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to episode two of the situation room. I'm here with my co-host, Gabe Ferguson. Um, I'm Jordan Coe. You guys can check us out on Twitter. He's at Gabe Fergie. I'm at BSL Jordan Coe. Um, but to tell you a little bit about what we're trying to do here, we're trying to break down games the night after they happen. Talk a little bit about some of the big plays that happen. And when I say big plays, I don't necessarily mean high yardage or longest distance or anything like that. But we're looking for plays that that we think are kind of impact on the game, like things that that we think happen that have a big influence on the overall outcome and have big kind of balance tipping scale moments of what's happened in the game. And so um, we're looking to try and identify what those plays look are, break them down for you. Some of those are going to be individual plays, big plays. You know, last week we saw Lamar with a huge run for the touchdown with Bozeman on that huge block on, on the pool. Obviously those kind of plays are going to come into part, but you know, we're also going to look for combinations of plays where we're talking about things that have happened um, that have repeated themselves or where the Ravens have really schemed up well that have happened in sequence or um, other plays where the Ravens set something up, but do something else. Um, But the idea is that we're trying to identify what those things look like, pull them out on tape. I'm going to try and tweet out the video of what those things happen on tape as we're talking about them. So you guys can check it out on Twitter. Um, But obviously through the first two weeks, Gabe, this has not been a great setup for what we're trying to accomplish here in the situation room, right? The Ravens have gotten out to big leaves early and in the process of getting out to those big leads, the Ravens have totally unplugged or changed their game plan or what they, it seems like what they've been trying to accomplish at least in one way or another. Um, And we haven't been able to totally showcase what we're trying to accomplish. So what have you seen in this game um, from the Ravens here in the Bengals game? So, yeah, I still think there are obviously some plays that are important to the outcome of the game. And and we're going to get into that in a little bit, Um, but it's hard to really complain too much about the Ravens and them coming out to jumping out to big leads on teams and not letting them get away. So this game was, you know, kind of a, a laugher right away. Honestly, the the Ravens offense wasn't great in this game, but the defense was. I think the defense played incredible, and that's probably the biggest takeaway. They just looked like they were playing a different sport than the Bengals in this game. But very quickly, it became apparent that Joe Burrow was not – able to process what the Ravens were doing defensively. And, um, and Wink Martindale like was like, okay, he smelled blood in the water. And as the, as he kept, you know, dying out different blitzes, different, um, you know, defensive back blitzes we'll get into a little bit. There's just a lot of things that he was able to do to kind of, to kind of make um, the quarterback uncomfortable. And, and I think that's the story of the game was just the Ravens defense. Um, also, you know, the offense had some issues, and I think we can talk about, a little bit about that as well. Um, they got out to a big lead early. I thought the offense looked pretty efficient in the game at the start, but then they stopped um, playing really well. They started making mistakes. Um, Lamar made some mistakes. Uh, the offensive line started missing some blocks. You know, it's it just kind of like one thing after another, and kind of is what we've been seeing from the Ravens' offense a lot, especially in the second half of games where they don't, don't seem like they're completely in sync. So you have any um, thoughts about that in particular, about how the offense is, is not really looking like they're getting their groove going? 
Definitely. I, I mean, you know, this is a, a, a pet topic of mine that I want to talk about for sure. But I want to go back a second to what you were just talking about with Joe Burrow not being ready for this. Right. And I think there are a couple layers to this that I want to unpack. One, which is I'm surprised that the Bengals weren't more ready for these Ravens plus packages only because the Bengals play the Ravens so frequently. Um, Wink and his approach is not new to them. Um, so I'm a little surprised that the Bengals coaching staff just wasn't a little bit more ready for like the Ravens going back to Rex Ryan had the history of the some guys call this the radar defense, right? Where you just had guys walking around. You didn't know who was going to blitz. You didn't know where it was coming from, but you, you see enough of it. And it's a little bit easier to diagnose. Um, it's surprising to me that the chiefs seem to have a really good lockdown on what the Ravens were doing, having played many fewer games recently against the Ravens and the Bengals didn't. Um, but my question for you more specifically is, you know, you watched Joe Burrow and I'm not a big college football guy, um, but I think you were a big Joe Burrow fan coming out of college Obviously, you know, LSU ran some much more sophisticated concepts in terms of what they were doing. And Joe Burrow has looked a lot more the part of a pro quarterback coming into this game. Why were the Bengals so far behind? Why were the Bengals so far behind in this game is my question, which is that you you had a guy that seemed like he'd be a little more prepared than your average rookie quarterback um, and and an, an offensive scheme that should have been a little bit more ready for the Ravens. What happened here in terms of diagnosing the blitz and why was it so bad? Or at least what was your take on that? So I think there's a couple of things that were at play here. Um, one was, for whatever reason, the Bengals kind of had this old school mentality of, of running the ball. Um, they wanted to run the ball on first down. And the range run defense is after, you know, kind of a bad week one, they rounded into shape quite well. And they were able to stuff the run pretty well in this game. And, and that early on kind of got the Bengals behind and down in distance. So they were facing a lot of second and longs, third and longs. And that's where Wink Martindale is at his best when he's in third and long. And he, I know, like you said, the Bengals, they played the Ravens for a long time. They kind of know what to expect, or at least you think you would. Well, you know, they do have a new coaching staff. Last year, they got rid of everybody. Um, new coaching staff. Um, I think the Bengals, um, Zach Taylor, you know, they, they've shown some positive things, but he's really um, maybe not the most like experienced guy, I think, when he got the job. So he doesn't have the kind of play calling experience that a guy like Andy Reid does. He, he can't really design and execute a game plan at that level, what we saw Kansas City do. So I think there is a little bit of, of a bad game plan. I think when the Bengals did look to pass early. There's a couple of plays where they passed on first and 10 and they were able to hit the Ravens for, you know, like a 10, 15 yard, 20 chunk play down, down the field. And then they got away from that. They didn't continue that um, attempt to pass the ball on first down. They went back to the run. And I think that hurt them overall. And then the other thing that happened was the Ravens got the lead. And once the Ravens got the lead, they got really aggressive on defense and they started sending blitzes. They started sending these, you know, overload blitzes or blitzes where you would, Fain, like you're sending six, seven guys, drop three into coverage. You don't know where the guys are coming from. They did that a lot. Burrow wasn't able to identify where the blitzer was coming from, and he wasn't able to identify what his hot read had to be. And that led to a lot of blitzes and a lot of turnovers um, and a lot of sacks. And the Ravens obviously had a very good, game, good day on defense. Um, and I think, you know, there's a lot of those factors combined that went into it. You know, the thing that stood out to me was that 
the Bengals decided not to block extra guys in the backfield. So one of the things that I've seen the last few weeks that I think has been effective in slowing down what Martindale does is blocking six, seven or more guys. Um, And you take away, yes, you take away the number of guys that are in routes in those instances, but you take away the surprise factor of what the Ravens were doing. You even saw Gannon call this out a little bit in the gameplay. There was um, a blitz earlier on where the Ravens got a sack. And then later, um, instead of having the running back go out into a route, they had him stay back and block and they, and the Bengals picked up the block. Um, I think what surprised me about that was not the effectiveness of the latter play, but the fact that uh, all the teams the Ravens have played so far this year have utilized the extra blockers really effectively to slow down the Ravens blitz. And that seems to be the, the MO, right? And like, again, that's what Wink's trying to do, right? We're trying to reduce the number of guys to go out in the routes, reduce the number of combinations that can effectively attack the Ravens defense and allow the guy, your elite defenders in these instances, right? Like Peters and Humphrey to really lock down the guys that are going out into routes because there are a reduced number of guys doing so. So it really surprised me that the Bengals felt like they didn't need to take that approach. Um, I think they, maybe they overestimated what Burrow's effectiveness was in terms of picking up the blitz. They overestimated the effectiveness of their offensive line, which is not very good, um, but they weren't ready for it. And, and um, you know, Wink had a field day. But to go back to your other question, which was, I think, the question that all Ravens fans are asking themselves right now. When I say all Ravens fans, I think last week it was only, you know, maybe 25 or 30, like a third of us that were asking the question. But this week, we're all asking the question, what's going on with the Ravens offense, right? Like, you know, there were, I think, two sides of this coin. One, Lamar definitely didn't look healthy. I mean, you got you and I were talking about this during the game. I think anybody watching the game even the, the announcers were talking about how few rushing yards Lamar had. There were, I think, no designed runs that I can recall offhand for Lamar in this game, which is definitely outside the norm for this team. Um, but in, in addition to that, even on these kind of like read option plays for Lamar, um, he wasn't getting to, to the edge. It wasn't effective. It definitely wasn't there, and he definitely wasn't 100%. Um, I think the other side of that coin, though, is – the Ravens did nothing to protect Lamar beyond that. I mean, in the first half, I think the ratio was, and I, I had these numbers in front of me, but I don't have them right now. I think it was 28 passes to 10 rushes. You've got a quarterback that you know is not going to be effectively able to run the ball in a way that you typically do. And your response is to throw the ball more than pass the ball or, or throw the ball more than run the ball. Um, to me, that didn't make sense. You know, run the ball down their throats and then run play action, then build off of that. But in what world does it make a whole lot of sense for the Ravens to run the ball so much in the first half, particularly because they were up very a lot early? Yeah, so I think um, clearly, like you said, uh, Lamar Jackson was hampered by the injury that, you know, he was not practicing for a couple of days this week. He was limited. When he did practice, he didn't look like he was 100%. Um, you know, John Harbaugh said after – the game and his presser that, you know, Lamar's um, in- injury or status didn't affect his running, but that's a load of crap, frankly. Um, clearly, that was part of the game plan, and it, and it did affect their ability. And I think it affected their ability to run because Lamar is so in- intricately involved in the Ravens' run game. Like, if he can't keep it on the zone read, it's not going to be the same effectiveness as it would be if, if, it, if he could. So I think they realized we can't put this much pressure on Lamar. So they went to a more kind of traditional running game and it didn't 
work as well, I would say. Um, I think that, you know, especially in the first half, they had some struggles with it. Um, Mark Ingram doesn't really have the same juice that he had last year. I think it's kind of apparent at this time. He's not, you know, hitting the holes as much burst. He's not breaking as many tackles as he, as he did. Um, I think he had a few nice runs in the second half, but overall he's kind of been underwhelming to me this year. Um, you know, Gus Edwards is kind of been the same guy he's always been, you know, he has, he has a few nice runs, nothing like huge. Um, but I think you could have used him more early on. I think you also need to give the ball to Dobbins more early on. And I've said this, um, I feel like a lot this, <laughs> throughout the first five games, I don't think Dobbins has been featured enough in this offense. And I think that he's someone who you really need to start leaning on if, if you want that running game to get going, because we've seen time and time again, that he's a dynamic playmaker. You know, he can catch the ball well out of the backfield. Um, he's explosive as a, as a running back. Um, you know, we saw him get the edge and run downfield for what, 30 yards. He runs through contact. He, he breaks tackles. He makes people miss. Like, why is he not getting 10, 12 touches a game? There, there's no reason why he shouldn't be more involved. And if you want to stop passing the ball as, as much, like you mentioned, and not put as much on Lamar's plate, then give those passes or give those runs that Lamar is having to take, give them to Dobbins, you know, get him more involved. And I think that would be a really like big upgrade to the Ravens offense right now because they need some more juice. And I think he has that. Yeah, you know, I don't understand why the Ravens have gotten gun shy. And I'd be interested to go back and look at last year's box scores and play by play. But the Ravens have decidedly gotten gun shy when they don't gain more than six yards running the ball. Um, and, and I don't get where that comes from, because if you look at the times that the Ravens, at least via running backs, ran the ball on consecutive plays in the first half, they were really effective every time they did it. And and none of those plays were big 10, 15 plus yard plays. Um, but there were a couple where I think Ingram went back to back for four and five yards and then they threw the touchdown pass to Andrews. I think there was a five and six yard consecutive run from Gus Edwards. Um, but like, again, none of those were like, like, it's almost like Greg Roman has it in his head that every run now should be these huge game breaking runs. And if they aren't, then they need to throw the ball in, in multiple succession. They need to do this kind of like, like the, the Marquise Brown pass where they like swung it out to him on the backwards lateral. Like that play was busted from the start. There was heavy coverage to that side of the play. It didn't make any sense. So, you know, I, I just don't understand why Greg Roman refuses to say committed to the running game. Now I agree with you. I think that if the Ravens want to get more into the passing game, the absolutely JK Dobbins and Devin DuVernay need to be part of what that package looks like and what they're trying to accomplish. Right. But the Ravens have got to decide if that's what they want to do, because it's almost like when they bring those guys in, they still remain committed to being this other team. But even though they're committed to this other team, it's the way they run the routes. It's the approach that they take. It's these, like you were saying, it's like these broken pieces where they just don't seem to all be in consensus about how they want to do it. And it's almost like if Greg Roman would have ran the ball 28 times and passed the ball 10 times in the first half, I think the Ravens would have had 25 or 30 points. Um, and yeah, third and four is okay. Third and three is okay. Third and five is even okay. But this, the way this Ravens team is set up, and it's almost like the Ravens are afraid on second and seven or second and eight to, to run the ball, to set themselves up, to have a effective shorter down and distance in third down, which I felt like they did a lot last year. So 
maybe I'm off base and I need to go back and look at the numbers here. Um, but it's the Ravens refuse to play to the sticks on multiple consecutive downs. It's like they get gun shy when something doesn't go right for them. And I think that's the thing that's been bothering me the most about the Ravens offense this year. I do think there's less confidence in the running run blocking this year compared to last year. I think they felt like they could lean on the run blocking and running game whenever they needed to last year. And that just doesn't seem to be part of the equation this year as much. And, you know, we talked a little bit, speculated a little bit about why that might be obviously losing Marshall Yonda has an effect. Um, But I still think that, like you said, you can run the ball, you can run the ball twice and still be in like a a reasonable third and, and like medium. And I'm not saying I want to see the Ravens, you know, run, run, pass every single time, but I think you can get a little bit more balanced. And honestly, like I feel in a lot of games this, this year, they have been pretty balanced. Like Lamar's passing numbers, at least pass attempts, haven't been that high in most games. I feel like this is the really the first game and, and maybe part of the Kansas City game as well, where they kind of lost that run pass balance. Um, and it could be different reasons for that. I still think part of that in this game was, was Lamar's health. Um, I don't think they wanted to put him in situations where he would want to be running the ball very much. So that to me is still something that I fall back on. I'm a little concerned about him because he didn't look right. And I think the fact that he doesn't feel comfortable scrambling um, also affected his passing to a certain extent. Um, he looked like he was a little confused at times um, dropping back. I felt like he sensed pressure sometimes when it wasn't. He uh, just didn't go through his progressions the way I've seen him do in the past. I, I just don't think he was comfortable out there. And maybe that has to do with him not having a full week of practice. Um, maybe it's just, you know, knowing that he doesn't feel 100% and feels like he has to, like, try a little harder. Um, but for whatever, whatever reason in this game, there was kind of issues across the board. And it's too hard to be too critical because – there are also some very nice plays. And um, I don't know if you do you want to get into some of those plays that happened early on in the game that we really liked? Yeah, definitely. Uh, and and I, I want to throw a, a follow-up to kind of where you concluded right there, which is that the Ravens have been this way all year, though. Like the chunk plays are there when the Ravens want to take them and they've set them up to happen. It's almost like the Ravens are trying to – force these chunk plays now it's like they're they're looking for these deep shots they're looking for 20 or 30 yards at a time they're looking like like if it's not if it's not a game-breaking eye-wowing play the Ravens are are not happy and it's almost like the way that Roman is approaching the offensive calls and how they're I think coaching up Jackson this year is looking for the deep play first and then if it isn't kind of taking what's underneath it where it should be the other way around take what's underneath take the first downs let these drives like like extend and run long term and then go deep over the top when when the opportunities are there but let the deep play set themselves up if teams overcommit to this stuff like on the intermediate or short stuff they're going to be deep plays to be had so uh, you know that's the that's the thing that kind of drives me a little nuts but you're absolutely right we should get into some of these plays and i think the first one that jumps right off the page is something that we've all been clamoring for and waiting for, which is the Devin DuVernay huge run in the first quarter. Um, 
really early on in the first quarter, um, you know, in the first three minutes of the game. And it was a tremendous play. I think this was the first reverse that I've seen the Ravens run this year. So a lot of this stuff has been the jet sweep or the swing pass or I don't even know that the Ravens have run meaningfully real bubble screens. Um, but this was the first reverse that I can recall. Um, and it worked really well because I think the teams are over committing to the Ravens running kind of left to right. And Lamar Jackson doing those things. They're over committing guys to the line of scrimmage. They're trying to get to the edge when they think Lamar's going to roll out. And that's exactly what you have. You have a kind of roll out to the right from Lamar and then a back pitch to Duvernay and you have the whole field, right? Because when you start on the far hash like they did, it, moving to the right of that hash gives you uh, gives you kind of the college length of the field to the left side of that. And the Ravens took big advantage of this, where DuVernay has a lot of space to get to the edge. They sealed it off really well inside the numbers, really. And that's what opened up that play. Yeah, I think you're right. This is the first time the Ravens have run a true end around. They've, they've done a couple of kind of wide receiver screens to DuVernay. They would won in this game as well. Um, and they and they tried to do, I think get Hollywood involved in a couple of those kind of like screen plays as, as well. But this was definitely the first big play like this that really really caught my eye. And you know it was a pretty simple setup. I think they were in twenty one personnel, um, and they just sell the run pick really well. They pull um, Bozeman like you would normally on power going to the right, and um, Duvernay is going you know has his action that looks like maybe it's a fake, but it's actually going to be the, you know, he's wanting to receive the ball. And and the, the line did a great job of kind of selling the run action. And then they just kind of let off their blocks. And especially the ones on the left side of the line, they just got out in front. And there was just like this huge pathway for Duvernay to run down the left side of the field. And, you know, I think there was one guy he had to beat and he just got his foot caught and had to go out of bounds. But it was very close to being a touchdown. It was blocked up extremely well. We saw Ronnie Stanley running out in front. He looked really athletic doing that, getting downfield. Um, it was obviously, you know, one of those plays that makes a big difference. It got them into the scoring territory right away. And the Ravens were able to get a field goal out of that drive. But, yeah, I think I think the other thing that stood out to me in this play is that teams – are starting to see how good Bradley Bozeman is when he pulls. I think that's part of what pulled the defense to the right on this play. They were looking for Bozeman to pull and be a major blocker, and the Ravens were able to run in the other direction. Um, and I think the Patrick McCarry is also an underrated part of the athleticism you see down the field. Rodney Stanley definitely got up and got down the field. I mean, you basically see him sprinting almost to the other 40 yard line and he doesn't quite get to the safety. I think Bates 30 is there, but a scant two and a half yards behind Ronnie Stanley is Patrick McCarry still running up the field. Um, You also see miles Boykin putting a big block down the field, probably at the 45 yard line. We can't see him without the all 22 seeing what he did, but he gets kind of, there's obviously deep protection there and he gets up into that cornerback and that that's almost what gives Duvernay the angle to get to the touchdown. Um, But you see a lot of guys running down the field, a lot of guys blocking and you know, it tells you that the Ravens team is committed to blocking up the field um, and that they have taken advantage of these opportunities. Enough of these are going to break loose when they're running the ball. Yeah, this was just a really well um, designed play, really well executed. And it was kind of like, oh, this is what this game is going to look like. I mean, at least that was the hope on offense. But even this drive fizzled out and 
you know, they, they got down into the red zone and they got into the third and seven. And unfortunately they weren't able to convert. And we, we want to talk about this play too, because um, at this point, you know, the offensive play was clicking. They did they, have this third down and they run this play where they have basically a couple of um, crossing routes that are at, at different kind of levels of the field. And then they have um, Mark Andrews running down the seam and Duvernay is the first under like kind of a short crosser, shallow cross. And Jackson kind of maybe looks at him, but doesn't actually really look at him. And he was open. He would have probably easily gotten the, the first down, but Jackson looks him off and goes to Andrews. Who's a little open down the seam, but it's a tighter window and the safety is able, and this is Bates again, who's actually, I think he's a very good player. Um, he, he showed up a few times in this game. He was able to come across and make the pass break up. Um, and we talked to, I've seen a play like this, a similar to a play that um, Andrews had against the Chiefs where Jackson was a touch late on the pass. I felt like he was also a touch late on this one. If he had hit him a little earlier, it might've been a conversion. And honestly, Andrews was a little, I mean, he was open-ish. I would say he was open-ish. I think if they had hit him a little earlier, it would have been a conversion, but you know, Jackson waited just a second too long or half second too long and the ball got there and the defender got there about basically the same time. So I think this is one of those instances where you're talking about, you know, Jackson looking downfield for the big play and he could have taken the easy one underneath. I think that's important, especially on third down. He did this a few times in this game and I think he tried to make the big play, but if he just finds the guy underneath who's open and gets the easy conversion, it would have made the offense click a little bit better. So I don't know if this is Jackson or this is the coaching, but I have a lot of problems with this play and and a lot of problems with what happened later in the game that looked in the same way. Mark Andrews is basically drawing double coverage here. He's got the safety over the top, right? That's Bates you were talking about and the guy in coverage there. So essentially Jackson knows he's trying to fit this into a window with two guys. Now, Look, we have the luxury of not processing this in real game time. But let me but when you think about this, if there are two guys covering one guy, what does that mean everywhere else? That means that everybody else is being covered by one guy. So if you freeze this frame from when the ball is in the air, and that makes it a little bit tough, but if you freeze the frame like right in the spot where the ball is kind of over the 20 yard line, I see two things. One, I see Duvernay basically beating his man on the crosser for sure. The other is that you see, and I don't know who the wide receiver is. I think it's Hollywood Brown up the sideline with a step on the cornerback that was covering him as well. Both those guys are in single coverage. Almost in every instance, I I don't blame Lamar for this throw because I think he thinks he has a legit shot. And, And even when you look at this, Andrews is relatively open, right? But to me, it's, my issue is not that Andrews has a chance at catching this pass. My issue is that there are two other guys in man single coverage that are going to be abused here that, that are options to throw the ball. And it's almost like Jackson's overcommitted to, I don't know if this is kind of a first read thing and, I, and we'll have to keep an eye on this. I think Andrews probably was the first read on this play and he never kind of locked off of him, but there are two other guys in single coverage. When there are two guys in single coverage, I'm much much, much rather see you throw the guy to the guys in single coverage than the guy that's under double coverage. And so Lamar needs to start to recognize where those multi-cover guys are and then realize that he can use his legs and use his mobility to extend the pocket and extend the play 
And if there are other guys that are in that single coverage, use his ability to move around to suck coverage to him. And then when you have one-on-one and you have guys that are looking at Lamar, those guys are going to come wide open on those other plays. And I think that if Lamar holds this ball for three quarters of a second longer, Duvernay is going to be wide open to run it in for a touchdown if he throws it to him, not just a first down. I think that if he throws it at the same time he throws it to Andrews, then Duvernay definitely has a shot at a first down. I think if he holds it for a second beyond that, he has a shot to score a touchdown. Um, and so hopefully the Ravens are picking up on some of that stuff on film and they're telling, they're telling Lamar, look, like if there are, if there is double coverage in the guy that you want to see open, Look to the next guy, read your next progression, because I think there's going to be something there. Yeah, you know, there's a quote from Bates, uh, I think Jeremy, Jeremy Bates is his first name, um, after the game, who said that they basically defended Jackson taking away his primary reads. That, that was their goal. They were trying to take away Andrews, and they're trying to take away Brown. And they know that those are the guys that he looks to first. And I, I think that we saw that happen in this game. And they did. I mean, Lamar was able to connect with Andrews, and he was able to connect with Brown. They both scored touchdowns in this game. So, I mean, there's a reason why he wants to throw to them. They're very good players, um, and they, they made some big plays in this game for him. But there are times when they're covered, or at t- there are times when they aren't. They shouldn't be the guy that he's trying to force the ball to. And there are other players who are open, and this is one of those instances. And I think he's going to have to learn that a 50-50 ball to Andrews or a 50-50 ball to Brown is the inferior choice compared to, you know, a 90-10 ball to Duvernay or Willie Sneed or whoever the open receiver happens to be. Maybe it's Dobbins coming out of the backfield. Like, he just needs to be able to process it a little faster and realize that if his first look isn't the optimal, you know, throw, then he needs to quickly go to the second look and and find that. And I feel like in some times he's been very good at this um he's i think in week one for instance he, he went through his progressions exceptionally well um and even at times last week I, I think he processed really well too and i'm not saying he doesn't do that generally but when he gets into this kind of mode of, of just like locking on to his primary read it's having a, a negative effect for the most part on the offense and it's something that i think needs to be coached out of him for sure and I mean, it's all coaching and it's all experience and some of the stuff is going to come to him naturally and some of the stuff is going to come over time. But I mean, let's flip it around the other way and talk about another big play at the end of the first quarter coming from Joe Burrow. (laughs) And I mean, the only way to describe this play is Kyle Baller. (laughs) I mean, Joe Burrow had not a whole lot of guys in his face coming at him. Yeah, he had pressure front up front, but he just chucks the ball away because he was scared. Um, and, you know, why don't you break the, break the play down for us? Yeah, so this play I I really liked. Um, and I, I, I tweeted this out um, on Twitter at Gabe Fergie. I, I didn't put it in – I didn't. I just did two screen grabs, so not a, um, a video of it. But it's basically the Ravens have six men that they're showing in a pressure look, and they bring six men as the ball snaps. So you have six guys rushing – they have five guys who are protecting. So Burrow's thinking immediately, I'm going to have a free rusher. In fact, he's looking at the guy, Chuck Clark, at his face. If you look at the All-22, um, he's not blocked. Like, they they do not block him at all. So he knows that I have to get rid of this ball fast. But what the Ravens do that's really smart here is Clark comes through. Judon is beating his guy off the edge, and there's one other guy who's blocked up on the other side. 
But then they drop the other three rushers. And this is something that Wink loves to do. He loves to show pressure and then drop them. And the Ravens defensive front is really good at selling it. They, they do this exceptionally well. Um, if you look at them like in slow motion on game pass and see them kind of attacking the line of scrimmage as a unit and then falling off as a unit and dropping into these shallow zones, it's really impressive to watch. They're coached up exceptionally well on defense. And Burrow really quickly realized that he didn't have a hot read. He had somebody barreling down at him who was about to pummel him. And he just made the decision that I'm just going to chuck it. And instead of trying to chuck it deep, he just kind of like lofted it. And it was like probably the easiest pick Marcus Peters has ever had. And AJ Green was the target. Um, he looked like he was uninterested in even trying to make a play on it, um, probably because it was about 10 yards over his head. But the end result is obviously a really, um, I think it was three to nothing at this point. And it, it gave the Ravens great, good field position. Um, and this is the kind of mistake that you want to force the quarterback to make when, when the Ravens defense. And obviously they were able to take advantage of the rookie here and, and get this, get this turnover early in the game. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> this is the difference between Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes, right? Or at least Joe Burrow today and Patrick Mahomes today, which is that the Ravens ran this exact same play against Patrick Mahomes and it was a 30 yard game. Right. And so hopefully the Ravens pick up on the fact that they need to be able to ID that kind of thing. And they need to be able to figure out how to pick that up. Um, and, and how to handle that. But, you know, the other part of this was something I talked about a little bit earlier, which was that it's a lot easier to run this play when the other team is only going to put five guys on the line of scrimmage to block. I mean, the Ravens showed six guys at the line of scrimmage to blitz. If I'm the quarterback, I make somebody else come back in. And I say, look, there are six guys here, right? Like we need a sixth man to at least chip or check somebody somewhere. And then if we do that, then we're okay, right? If we don't do that, it didn't matter if it was Chuck Clark. It didn't matter if it was Matt Judon. It didn't, it didn't matter who the guy was. The Ravens blitzed more guys than the, than the Cincinnati Bengals blocked, period. That is, in my opinion, unacceptable from an NFL perspective for when you know the Ravens are going to line six guys up at the line of scrimmage like that. Even if you think that they're not all going to blitz, you have to know that if even if you don't, then one of them very well could get through if you don't do that. And Patrick Mahomes was really effective in the Chiefs game in terms of doing that. I think that, you know, I, I think that we've seen every team against the Ravens so far this year do that. And that, uh, again, we talked earlier about how that's Martindale's goal, right? Like this is the optimal, perfect outcome and situation of something like this happening. But ideally, the idea is that you're forcing the teams to run less guys into route, run less com combinations, do less things and let your guys take away passes as a result of that. Um, but, you know, I also think we all need to send Joe Burrow a spa certificate for the week because <laughs> that man just, you know, regardless of plays, just took an absolute beating over and over and over again because his offensive line is just also, whether it's communication or whatever, just not up to snuff. Yeah, I mean, you make a good comparison between this and Burrow and or this game and, and Mahomes because I think that one of the major differences is that ability to recognize and adjust and you know bring in the extra blocker if you need it. if you have six guys rushing okay maybe i need another other guy to pick up the blitzer there's somebody lined up over a gap and nobody's going to block him i also think that the chiefs offensive line knew what they were doing way better than the Bengals offensive line did like they had you know their calls down pat they 
a, I don't think the Ravens had one free rusher that entire game like they did in this game. Um, so those are clearly some differences. And then the thing that if you want to look at my Twitter at Gabe Fergie, there's a screen grab of three Bengals offensive linemen just kind of standing there, not blocking anyone, looking ridiculous as one guy, actually two guys, because Judon is also coming off the edge, screaming down at Burrow. And he literally has nothing he can do except for either take the sack or try to find somebody downfield. Um, I think the other difference between him and Mahomes is Mahomes ID is the guy that he knows is going to be running the nine route. And he's just going to chuck it up there and hope that his guy can make a play on it. Burrow tried to kind of do that, but it didn't work out for him. Yeah. Also, you know, there, there's a whole lot of different things that the chiefs did differently. Like basically in the chiefs game, they like, you, you have two guys on the outside here where they both run complete go routes, essentially. Like, like if you, neither of them run stop routes in the chiefs game, the chiefs basically had someone running a stop route on every single play. So anytime Mahomes had pressure in his face, he knew which guy was going to run that stop route three yards down the field. And he knew he needed to throw to one of those guys quickly the Ravens don't consistently all out press and they are pretty obvious about the guy that they'll leave open underneath. Um, and, and the chiefs were, did a good job of using down a distance in that situation to kind of beat that. The, the Bengals didn't follow that uh, for as much crap that I give Greg Roman, because I think from a passing perspective, he just, he doesn't have it as an offensive coordinator. He needs something to set up the pass to be effective. Um, the Bengals were woeful in how they set up their passing game in this game. And they were woeful in kind of what they looked at on tape that was effective. I mean, if you go back to the Washington football team game in all these situations where Burrow took a sack in almost every single one of them, you could argue that the Washington football team ran a screen on those exact same plays last week and were a lot more successful when they did it. Um, and you only saw a couple screens from, from Cincinnati in this game. I thought the Ravens defended them a lot better, but they, they, uh, I, I have a hard time using my words here because if I was a, a Bengals fan, I would have been so upset about the criminal job the offensive coordinator did for Joe Burrow this week. It, it, it was just, it, it was woefully unacceptable for the better part of three quarters. Yeah, I definitely think that as much as we talked about with the Kansas city game, they just kind of completely out game planned out and like had a better idea of what was going to happen in that game. And the Ravens did, I think this is the opposite of that. The Ravens completely, you know, out game plan the chiefs or the, sorry, the Bengals. And, you know, the Bengals just didn't have an answer for what, what the Ravens wanted to do on defensively. Um, so, I mean, there's a whole lot of plays that we could talk about and, and we're going to go through a couple of them here as well. Um, and it's it just kind of different things that Ravens did, um, you know, blitzing from different places, using different players, um, dropping different people. And a lot of it was kind of the same general concept of showing a bunch of guys at the line of scrimmage so that the, you know, the offense can't ID who is going to drop and who is going to blitz and maybe the Ravens blitz everybody. Um, and then, not being able to correctly identify where to go with the ball um, when that happens. So I think, I think the next play that we want to talk about was, was the other turnover or yeah. Fumble that um, Patrick Queen forced on, on Joe Burrow. And so this was some LSU tiger on LSU tiger crime here. Um, 
And it was another kind of similar play where, where the Ravens showed, I think, six guys at the line of scrimmage, maybe seven guys on the line of scrimmage. And instead of, you know, bringing everybody, they initially showed six people and then they dropped two at this time off into coverage. Um, and they, they brought two people from um, the secondary, I think, or one person from the secondary, one person from the, the, the linebacker, Patrick Queen and Sean Elliott, both blitz off, off the left side of the line of scrimmage. And initially they were blocked up in this time. Uh, they had, I think the Bengals did keep back a tight end maybe, and maybe a running back in this play too. Um, but they weren't able to block them for a long time. And, and Joe Burrow initially avoided the pressure, but then Queen got by his initial block and was able to hit Burrow from behind and force the fumble. Um, this is what we've been wanting to see from Patrick Queen, isn't it? You know, making a play as a blitzer. And, and I think this is exactly what the, the Ravens were hoping to see when they drafted him. Yeah, I mean, this is a monster hit by Patrick Queen. And again, our condolences to Joe Burrow, his family, and anybody that knows him. Um, but, you know, this is case in point of, again, the, a rookie quarterback not knowing what to do. Um, Joe Burrow's got to get rid of this ball here um, when he breaks the pocket because he's got to know the pressure's coming from behind him. But this is all what we were talking about earlier. I, I can't see the all 22. But my guess is that with two extra guys dropping back, you're, you're right. So um, the Cincinnati was basically in a kind of like dual shotgun formation where um, 89 and the running back are to both sides of Burrow helping block. And neither of them are effective in being useful in that role. But that means that Cincinnati only has three guys running routes. Um, the Ravens have five guys that are rushing, but that still gives you a pretty significant numbers advantage in terms of who is back there blocking. And this was one of those instances where you don't see Marlon Humphrey or you don't see Marcus Peters. You don't see your best cover, cover guys kind of dropping into that blitzing formation. And so you've got your best cover guys against three guys running routes for the Cincinnati Bengals. And so in these instances, Mahomes seemed to know that he needed to get out of bounds or get to the boundary or get to safety when these kind of things happened and Joe Burrow had no idea um, that he needed to do that and so Patrick Queen just absolutely great blitzer catches up to him from behind but Burrow has got enough time here to realize whether he's got someone open to throw to or to get out of bounds um, and in a lot of ways I think that I would put the this sack firmly on him and him alone I think it's a coverage sack but the coverage sack is because the Ravens have the number of guys and Burrow's got to know no one's coming open he doesn't have a crack here um, and he was trying to make something happen, but there, there is nothing wrong with at the 50 yard line, um, throwing the ball out of bounds, punting it and pinning a team inside the 10, um, because you've got the advantage of time and space. And so Burrow's going to hopefully have learned, well, hopefully not for the Ravens, but hopefully have learned that lesson for his own, for his own safety. But you don't want a guy taking blindside hits to the back like that. It was a great hit, clean hit by Patrick Queen, um, upper body, back-to-back, not leading with his head, not doing anything crazy, totally dislodging the ball. And I, I think Patrick Queen had a fantastic game blitzing. Um, and the Ravens need to utilize him more in passing situations as the extra blitzer because um, I think he's really effective in that role. Yeah, I agree. I think I think Queen at this point, of his early career is better moving forward than, than moving backwards. Um, I, I think he just has, he's better when he can see the play in front of him develop. And that's not unexpected for, you know, a rookie linebacker or something that's very common. Um, and I think he actually had, you know, 
another couple good plays in coverage as well. But that's when he saw the play in front of him, he was able to use his speed to to get to the get to the guy and like get him out of bounds for short gain, that kind of thing. Um, I thought, like you said, Queen had a very good game. I think we're seeing improvement out of him. He had some issues last week in coverage. Didn't see that so much this week. Um, that's obviously that's obviously something that you want to see as a Ravens fan and, and as a you know the Ravens coaches. I'm sure we're very excited for this game from him as well. It was just a really all around good game. He had what a sack. He had a couple, two forced fumbles, one forced fumble, um, fumble recovery. Um, he was just all over the field making plays, and that's what the Ravens need out of their rookie linebacker. So very happy to see that. Yeah. And, you know, I think the flip side of that is the Ravens just, you know, on defense had that killer instinct. This is one of those plays where they just didn't let it get away from them and they absolutely shut them down. I think early the first six or seven third downs, Cincinnati only had one conversion. Um, You know, that's the difference between what happened in the Cincinnati game and what happened in the Kansas City game, in my opinion. Kansas City regularly on third downs converted. Um, But I think you flip that over to the other side and we look at a play a little under the eight minute mark on the Ravens side um, where you've got to convert. And we saw kind of a combination of two things. One, I thought a not great decision to pass on third down um, as the Ravens kind of crossed the 50 yard line and were effectively running the ball. Um, but I think we want to talk about this fourth down where the Ravens line up fourth and six. I don't, you know, I, I think there's, it's worthy to quibble here um, about whether the Ravens made the right call on going for it on fourth and six. I just kind of criticized Joe Burrow for not willing to punt the ball from the 55 yard line um, and kind of throw the ball out of bounds. So I think the Ravens deserve at least some modicum of the same kind of criticism at the same time, I thought the Ravens actually dialed up a pretty decent play here. Um, and I think this is a good example where the Ravens saw Lamar Jackson trying to throw to his first read um, and not extending this play and and not making something happen. Um, and so you see Lamar Jackson try and get the ball out quickly to Mark Andrews. He's open, but he overthrows him. There's a little pressure for sure in, in Lamar Jackson's face. But if this is the kind of call you're going to make on fourth and sixth, punt the ball you know that that that's kind of my main takeaway here so a couple of things first of all this has to be stated the Ravens had 10 men on the field for this play they had three receivers one running back five offensive linemen one Lamar Jackson 10 players unacceptable to have 10 players on a fourth down conversion attempt that is just completely bananas to me that nobody was counting heads or helmets on that play and nobody called a timeout there I, I, I went back and rewatched. I was like, I have to be missing somebody. I have to be missing somebody. No, they had three receivers, one running back, one quarterback. There was nobody else. To, to let that happen, sorry, three receivers, one of them was a tight end. Um, it, was the, it was the Andrews. It's, it's unbelievable. How can you let that happen on a fourth down conversion? It's just, that, that to me is, is just completely unacceptable. So that bothers me. Um, I think Skura, you've mentioned before, he has had some issues he kind of whiffed on the block here and and Lamar did have a guy right in his face. So he had to get rid of the ball fast, faster than probably than he wanted to. Um, Andrews was, had a step on his guy, but the ball was overthrown. So I don't have a problem going for the ball in this position. I think the previous play call, if you know, you're going to go for it, like you kind of mentioned, alluded to, maybe you should run the ball there and get it a shorter um, kind of fourth and manageable, or maybe get it a little closer for Justin Tucker to kick a field goal there instead of having to go for it. Um, there's some issues 
the biggest issue I have with this play, obviously, is not having enough men on the field. But I don't know. I just feel like if you're going to be going for it in this kind of a position, I like to see something a little more creative. I like to see something where you're scheming up a guy who's going to be open. Like, you know that he's going to be open, and you know that that's going to be a reliable target for Lamar Jackson quickly to get the ball to. I think part of the issue here, I keep going back to it, but Lamar not being 100%, he might have been able to step up and avoid that rusher and scramble and and normal Lamar games, but he couldn't do that this game. He just kind of had to get rid of the ball. Um, It's disappointing. It didn't really hurt the Ravens that much in the the big scope of things, obviously. But, man, when you see this kind of, like, mental mistake that happened, it it just bothers me. No, it it should absolutely bother you. I've been I've been kind of railing on the Ravens schematically on offense all year. It seems like they're not playing to their strengths. It's not like they're trying to accomplish anything. Nothing seems intentional and everything seems like gimmicky and and gimme at times. Um, When they've been intentional, it seems like they have success. When they run in succession, they have success. When they set up the play action, they have success. And this kind of play is case in point of the Ravens. I mean – you need to be scheming for fourth and five ish down in distances well before this game, right? This is a play call that you are making in practice for the last four weeks and you use when you need it, but it's not a regular situation. So when this situation comes up, this play call is easy. This play call is obvious and who you are throwing to and where you're trying to get to are crystal clear period. And, and everything about this play, like you just said, was the opposite of that. Like, it wasn't well blocked. They weren't ready for the scheme. It wasn't a fit. Like like you run this play because you know this is the style of defense. The, de- the defense is attacking you with all game. We are set up. It's kind of like the fake punt, right? We are ready for this because we know this is what we're going to see and this is how we're going to attack it. And the Ravens didn't do that here. And in my opinion, the Ravens haven't been doing this all season long on offense in any capacity. They've been skating by on talent. They've been skating by on on kind of how good they are at so many different positions, how locked in Lamar and, and Mark Andrews can be together, how good Hollywood Brown can be when he actually cuts it loose and gets open. And if the Ravens got a little bit more intentional across the board, more routes to Andrews and Brown would be open, more opportunities for Jackson would be there, and more – screw ups i will not use the other word <laughs> or screw ups like this one where i didn't even notice the 10 guys but it's woefully unacceptable that it was that, that it was that number of guys in this instance um the other thing that struck me about this play was how late it got off in the shock in, in the play clock and the ravens have been doing this all year long and it, it drives me nuts which is that they've been running up against the play clock regularly like they don't know what they want to call or they don't want to know what they want to get in and when the ravens get plays in early They aren't – like I've seen the Ravens snap the ball at like 12, 14, 16 seconds left in the play call regularly at certain times too when they do get the play call in. So it's not even like they're trying to use the time that they have. It's almost that they are so, in my opinion, arrogant that they can be successful in what they're doing that they don't have to try and diagnose what the defense is doing. They're prescribing and pre-calling all of that. And I think that if the Ravens just kind of let go a little of that – and arrogance might be too strong of a word, but whatever that is, that's how they get to the next level here. And that is the the patience from Lamar, the better calls from Roman, the somebody counting the number of guys that are on the field, all those kind of things. Totally unacceptable. Yeah, and I think the you know the late in the 
play clock issue is hand in hand with the not having enough guys on the field. And I'm not sure why nobody called a timeout. Like, I think that's clearly a mistake. Um, but I don't know. We, we can stop complaining about the offense. I think we want to finish off on a high note and talk about some nice plays on defense. Did you want to say something? One last thing. Yeah. One other note here. Ben Powers was in on this drive. I don't know if you noticed that. Yeah. <laughs> and Patrick Makaru was out. And I don't know why the Ravens made that call in terms of that. I thought Makari played well enough. I need to watch a little bit more closely. But it seemed like there were, and I haven't seen the snap counts for the game, but it seemed like there was a number of times where the Ravens tried to go to Powers. And it seemed to me every time I noticed it, he was pretty ineffective. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'd have to go back and watch and see like if, if there was someone who was being more or less effective um, at that position. I'm not sure if they're rotating them or if it was just one drive, the powers came in something to go back and look for at for sure. Um, but I wanted to also talk about the very next play that happened on the defensive side of things for the Ravens, because this was one of the most, you know, in, in a game where the Ravens did a lot of really good things on defense. Um, I thought that this play was, you know, something that was one of the more impressive plays I saw all day. So first and 10, the Bengals had just turned over, over the Ravens and they had this screen set up, which was a really nice green design. Um, they basically, they have, as the screen should be, they have like four or five blockers that were free release down the field. There weren't for main Ravens, but there was, they basically had two guys. They had Chuck Clark, I think. And then they had LJ Fort and LJ Fort was the closest defender. And he just blows up the play. He's he takes on two different offensive linemen who were like next to each other blocking. And he basically forces them to hold him and he drew a penalty, a holding penalty. So not only did he blow up the play and like cause like the offensive linemen to not even try to like continue their progress. They just got like stonewalled Two offensive linemen got stonewalled by LJ Ford. Nixon was thrown off the, obviously there's a play call and it was, and it was pulled back. So it was first and 20 afterwards, but this was such an incredible play from Ford. Like I can't even get over how impressed I was by that play. And like, it was just perfect. Like awareness he showed great technique. He showed great like form. And that's the kind of play that you need. You, these are the kind of plays that maybe not in this game, but like these are the kind of plays that make a huge difference and a huge impact on the game. And this doesn't even go, go into the into the, like, the stat book because it was a non-play. It was a holding penalty. But be, it was forced because of how good Fort played the, that play. And I was just incredibly impressed by it. Yeah, I, I think the, the point where of which Fort – dominates this play to the extent that it it stops the play i mean this is only this is only going to be about a six yard gain no matter what um for mixon um because of the effort that fort put into the play and then you get a call back in, in addition to the hold um is really impressive um i guess the only the other thing and and fort has had a great year i think the ravens need to play for it more um i think that you know, we even saw Malik Harrison kind of get beat a few times in this game too. I think Ford should be taking even all of all of Malik Harrison's snaps if if he hasn't already. Um, but I think the thing that stood out to me about this play is maybe this is why Cincinnati didn't run more screens um, in this game. Their their offensive line was just like not not equipped to play it. I mean, even. You even see kind of the I, I don't know if it's the center or the left guard coming out free who should be able to have like be able to put a huge block on Chuck Clark. He misses um, 68, who I think is the right tackle. 
basically should prevent the hold from happening by continuing to block fort because there is nobody to his left. Um, and for whatever reason, 68 backs off of fort into no man's land to block nobody. Um, and essentially leaves the other guy, the, the guard, I believe, the right guard to hold fort on this play. Um, so there's a lot that Cincinnati did wrong. Um, but you know, LJ fort did his thing right like that this is what you need to see from the ravens also the ravens need to learn from this play um they had four guys in the backfield with one offensive lineman back there the ravens inability to identify and and defend screens effectively is going to burn them it already burned them well it didn't burn them last week in the in the washington game because it didn't matter but they ran screens all over them um and i don't mean to take away i, I think there's definitely a high note fantastic play by ford here but the thing that I see on tape here is that the Ravens have no idea how to defend a screen. They need to call Terrell Suggs. They need to have him run a workshop on what it's like to identify what the tackle is doing when he is not actually pass blocking to split out onto a screen and they need to defend it more effectively. We saw it happen a couple times in this game. The Ravens actually did do a good job of defending the screen, but this is one of the prime examples where again, you have too many guys in the backfield against guys that are not legitimately blocking them. And it's giving away these plays uh, play opportunities that, you know, against the, mediocre Cincinnati team aren't going to matter, but against, or less than mediocre, but against better teams are like, like if I'm watching this, I am salivating. If I'm, if I'm the Eagles next week for a Miles Sanders screen set up the exact same way that I think is going to be a touchdown. Yeah. I think you make a good point. And like you said, we saw this happen a couple of times last week against the Washington football team. I think as you know, as, as I said earlier, I thought the Ravens are, are coached up very well um, when it comes to their, they're, you know, blitzing and their ability to drop. Um, but this is something that they seem to use a little bit more coaching on, on, on the ability of their defensive line. And I guess outside linebackers to figure out when the, the offensive line is, is kind of giving them the ole, you know, letting them get a free run at the passer so that they can release and, and set up that screen. So something to, you know, kind of bookmark and, and look at in the future. Um, but real quick, um, the next thing I want to, talk about and we don't spend much time on this but the Ravens did a really cool thing in, in this game and and they had so they had seven sacks in this game five sacks came from defensive backs each one different defensive back um and it was really interesting I thought and you know I know you at times have complained about how much that William Barnett likes to blitz his his you know his coverage guys and to some extent I agree with you I also kind of disagree I think this game was a clear example of how it can be effective um and he used these blitzes, they were all different blitzes. They came from different alignments, different players. And I think, it, and you know, also different like types of blitzes. And I think that kind of shows, you know, the playbook that Wink has. So I don't want to spend too much time on them, but just to go through them. Um, so the first sack was a Jimmy Smith sack. It was more of a cleanup. They had, he was like the fourth pseudo rusher on, on a four man rush. And he kind of like, honestly kind of looked like he didn't know what he was supposed to be doing on a play. Was he supposed to cover a guy or was he supposed to blitz? He ended up just kind of like sitting in no man's land, but Burrow was flushing up from the pocket and he was able to clean up and get like a, a negative one yard sack. The second one, this one was a more impressive blitz. It was, it was a, a five man blitz or four man rush plus um, the third, the fifth blitzer. And that was um, Deshaun Elliott. And he kind of like hid behind a guy on the edge. Um, he, wasn't ID'd and he did a delayed blitz and came completely unblocked through the hole and just crushed Burrow. Um, that was a really nice play. Um, the next one was a really interesting one because it was two corners coming on a blitz at the same time. 
Now the, the Ravens did this last year. I think I can recall one time against the Rams and they got Jared Goff for a sack. It happened again this time. This time they weren't wide corners. They were actually kind of like in a condensed formation. So they were basically lined up as a slot corner. And it was both Peters and Averitt coming off both ends. And they didn't get him on the first blitz. They got kind of blocked off, but they were able to get right back onto him. And Peters got the sack and he also got the fumble and it turned into like a big loss because the ball got batted way down the field. The next one was Clark. This one was kind of another blitz off the edge. Um, and he just kind of beat his guy. Um, he was just, I mean, it was like a, kind of a normal blitz. It's like a five-man blitz. And he was able to beat the defender and bring Burrow down. And then the last one, very next play, actually, Marlon Humphrey blitzing from the slot. I don't even know if it was a called blitz or he saw it as like an opportunity because nobody was like guarding it. The running back was on the other side of, of Burrow, so he didn't see him coming. And he's had a clean shot right at Burrow. Um, got him for, for a sack. Um, so I thought this was just the really impressive thing that the Ravens did. It was, it was just bang, bang, bang. Ended up Ravens with seven sacks on the day. That's something that you love to see. Um, and I thought that this kind of just shows the versatility of the Ravens defense as a whole. Um, we talked a lot about their ability of offensive linemen and defensive linemen, or not offensive linemen, outside linebackers and defensive linemen to drop into coverage. But also it's because they can bring defensive backs as blitzers and their defensive backs bring lumber too. They can hit, Humphrey can hit, Clark can hit, Elliott can hit. These guys are all capable of bringing down the quarterback. And this was just, you know, one example of, of the kind of versatility of, of defense. And I know you don't like seeing it too often, but I think it's something that's not going away because it can be very effective if used correctly. So the Ravens definitely made hay out of out of these plays, this, this go around. My only, and they looked good doing it. And I can't disagree with that. My only observation is four of the five sacks in this methodology came in the second half when the Ravens were already up big and the Ravens were absolutely, they had already battered Burrow and they already knew that they were going to get home. I want to see the Ravens do this successfully. Like, like if the Ravens go and sack Russell Wilson, or I guess like, I, I know the Seahawks aren't on the schedule. I, I'd have to go look at the schedule. If the Ravens could do this to Ben Roethlisberger five times in a game, if they can do it to Phillip Rivers five times in a game, if they can do it to um, Ryan Tannehill five times in a game, that, that's the Ravens slate coming up when they have the kind of a big set of like five consecutive games coming up and Dak Prescott. If they can do it five times in a game from the secondary against those guys, great. Right. To me, this means nothing. <laughs> Joe Burrow was running scared. He looked absolutely bewildered. He had no idea how to step up in the pocket. He had no idea. He had no idea what was going on around him at all whatsoever. So it, it to me, it's like the Ravens. Yeah, they look great doing it. This is kind of like once you beat the team, it, it, the, the Lakers look great in the third quarter today. Right. And that's because the Heat had given up, essentially. Right. The game was over. They were already down 30. There was nothing left to do. And like the effort was not a hundred percent to me. That's what I saw here in the Cincinnati game. Like the Peters sack in particular was absolutely a gimme. Like Burrow should have definitely gotten rid of the ball before that. The Peter sack came through. I love the double cornerback blitz call. And I'd like to see the Ravens be more aggressive with their secondary blitzes when they aren't up big and actually blitz the guys. I think the Ravens do too much of the fire zone stuff. They do too much of like the only blitzing four or five guys. I want to see the Ravens bring six or seven, like, seven, eight, nine, 12 times a game. 
right? Like make teams think you're actually going to bring it and make teams block it with regularity. Um, and I'm absolutely all for it. So I think that there are methods to the success. And I think the reason the Ravens weren't good enough against Mahomes, I think we talked a little bit about this in the last podcast was I, I went back on this, right? Like I think they need to blitz more guys more often. They need to be less cute, less often and more aggressive, more often. And so hopefully this unlocks that because if we see more of these double cornerback blitzes, you see more of the corner blitzes with aggressiveness. You see that wide nine look. The Ravens kind of use a little bit more of the wide nine, like four man rush looks. And and that's where the Smith sack came on kind of that same look. Um, you know, I think they're going to find more success. So I'm not I'm not going to rule it out yet, but I want to see I want to see them do it against a good quarterback first. And then I'm all on board for it. And I want to see Wink get more aggressive with it. I I think you make some fair points. And I will say that, you know, the Ravens hopefully are going to be up a lot in games. So, you know, I think they'll have the ability to, or the luxury, I should say, to be able to, you know, throw out these kind of blitzes. Because when you're up a couple of scores and you can afford to be a little aggressive, um, then these are kind of blitzes that, are going to not necessarily be as easy to pick up as like a linebacker because you just don't necessarily expect it the same way. And teams should learn to expect it from the Ravens. And that's partially why, you know, when, when Wink does kind of the fire fire zone blitz, it's, it's a little more effective because, you know, they say maybe he will bring six guys. So I, I agree with you. I, I want them to actually do it. I want them to actually bring the pressure maybe a little bit more frequently than they have been because I think it can be really effective and you kind of have to find a right balance between faking it and actually doing it. And a lot of times when you're faking it, you're also opening up clean, clean uh, rush lanes as well to the passer. And that's kind of the ideal situation where you're actually only blitzing four, but you have several offensive linemen who aren't covered or blocking anybody. That's kind of like your ideal scenario. Um, so there's different like ways that you can do this, but overall, I agree with you. I think being aggressive is great. I think you need to be balanced in how you do it. Um, but in this game, it certainly worked. And I think that's something that the Ravens are going to have the opportunity to do against some other teams as well. I mean, we have Carson Wentz next week, and he hasn't exactly looked great against the Blitz um, and against pressure. So I think that's something that we could see a lot next week too. Yeah, and I think the thing that makes this work, and let's jump into our unsung players of the game. You know, for me, it's Brandon Williams. Again, the Ravens absolutely stuffed Joe Mixon in this game. They absolutely stuffed him with absolute regularity. I think he only had one run that was of kind of any, like over seven yards. Like they just absolutely shut him down. Less than three yards of carry. Brandon Williams was a huge part of that. Um, and the Ravens' ability to stop the run and early down a distance or even whenever they see it, is going to let them blitz more. And I think the Wink's got to trust it. And I think he's got to let Brandon Williams keep being Brandon Williams. Him and Clyde Campbell have been dominating the line of scrimmage from a, a run defense perspective. And that's going to let him blitz more. Yep. Um, I think that's, that's definitely true. So my guy is going to be Pernell McPhee and maybe he's not so unsung in this game. He did have a sack, but you know, he's generally not the first guy who comes to, comes to mind when you're thinking about the Ravens, you know, defense, we're thinking about the Ravens pass rush, but he's the kind of guy who just, he puts in the work every single game. Um, he's one of the more consistent guys in terms of bringing pressure. I think he had like four quarterback hits in this game. He had one sack that was very impressive, clearly almost close to getting a couple more. I think he felt bad one time where he hit Burrow. who's just like, sorry guy. Um, and then I think he had a pass defense too. You know, he's just, 
And and like we mentioned, he's also one of those guys who the Ravens have used to, you know, drop into coverage at times. And and he's not the most nimble guy dropping back, but he, he can he can do a few things. You know, he can cover the the short shallow zone. Um and Ravens, I think, don't get enough credit for having one of the most well-rounded, most um, I guess depth I think they have along the defensive line and their outside linebacker group. They just have a lot of guys up front who are versatile, who can rush from different alignments, can do different things. They can they can blitz, they can drop. Um, they are strongest to run. I think they've gotten a lot better on run defense on the edges. Um, I think Tyce Bowser has shown up a lot in run defense this year, more so in the past than in the past. He's also showing up as a as a as an edge rusher more. I think he's he almost got a couple of sacks in this one. I've just been really impressed um, with with the Ravens outside linebacker group and 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 this game I think Pernell McPhee was the one who really impressed me. All right, everybody. Well, that's the situation room. We're trying to hopefully have a game where there's a little bit more balance about some of these big plays or we see someone that makes a bigger underrated contribution. But the Ravens got up early in this one and it played itself out that way. Hopefully, as Ravens fans during the regular season, we see a little bit more of that. The Ravens certainly had an opportunity to score score at least 40 points in this game and and certainly didn't seem to convert that. So um, let's hope to see, start to see some of that. But um, another week, another win in the books, another 20-plus point win, and the Ravens are well on their way. So um, you guys can check us out on Twitter. He's at Gabe Fergie. I'm at BSL Jordan Co. Thanks for tuning into the Situation Room. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc